decision in our church that we wanted to go after God. That's what we made a decision to do. Now, I'm not saying that we're the only ones. I know that there's wonderful churches in, in the city, okay? And we, we bless God for that. We need hundreds of churches in the city. Somebody say amen. amen. But for us, I want to tell you what happened with us. What, what happened with us is we began to do so much of religion, so much of the, the form and the fashion, that we forgot what Jesus was about. I want you to think to yourself right now, how real is Jesus to you? You know, how real is Jesus in your life right now? Does, does Jesus look like this person in the Bible? Does Jesus look like this in your life? I mean, think about the things you've probably done before. You've probably gone to an Easter service. Do you know what Easter is about? Easter is about the resurrection of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. That Easter service that you went to, did you see the resurrected power of the Lord? That's what Paul said it was all about. Paul said, I want to see the resurrected power of the Lord. Most of us probably didn't. You know what we probably saw? We probably saw that white, blonde-haired Jesus come up, carry the cross, have a little ketchup sprinkled down his face, and then we all clapped our hands and cried, Oh, Dito, Jesus. That was such a wonderful service. Oh, yes, it was. That's Easter. Come on, let's be honest. I mean, just think about it. We, we go to church services. I remember growing up, and our pastor would say, he would say, let's pray for the sick. And, you know, it was in their belief that God could heal the sick. And so what would happen? The music would play softly, and the elders of the church would take some oil, and they would just kind of walk to the sick people and just go, hallelujah, be healed. And then just walk to the next one, be healed. They didn't expect them to get healed. It's kind of like Nancy when she works at the bank, you know. Somebody comes in. Oh, I got surgery next week. And what would the teller say? What would a stranger say back? Oh, I hope you get better. Hope it goes well. You know, it was like coming to church was like that, you know. It's like, hope you get better. Here's a little, here's a little prayer for you. Here's a little wish. I wish you get better. Is that our God? I mean, is that all it comes down to? It's just wishes. You know, I just wish you get better. I just, I just wish God will change the world. My friends, there's a real God. And if He's a real God, that means He can do real miracles. And that means He can change lives. And it's, and it's not about, you know, us selling it to you for $19.95 plus shipping and handling through a prayer cloth. It's not about holy water and holy oil. And it's not about acting like it doesn't exist either. So you've got some over here that are, you know, scamming people saying, oh, well, you'll get healed, $15.99. Your holy cloth is in the mail. And then you've got others that are over here just trying to pretend it doesn't even exist. And even if they are going to pray or, or you know, go that far to do it, they're just going to kind of like brush by it real quick. God, heal them. God, heal them. God, heal them. Okay, now we're done with the service. Let's go on to do everything else. Christianity is not about just talking about our message. Now, of course, we believe Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died. He he really lived and he really died. He was buried. He rose again, okay? But you understand something. Listen to me. That has power behind it. It's not just for us to tell the story, you know. I mean, I can make up a story, too. There was once a pumpkin. It became a little, you know, little monkey. And then the monkey flew away as a bird. I mean, what difference does that make? If there's, if there's no truth behind that, there's no power. I, I've said it this weekend, and I'm just speaking it from my heart. And you'll know in your heart if you believe this, and, you, and you'll be honest with yourself. Come on. 
I feel like Christianity and religion today is just like handing people menus. And they're saying, well, this is what God can do. Here's what you can have. You can have a hamburger. You can have this and that. And you know as well as I do, if you go to a restaurant, you look at the menu, and you're hungry, you say, okay, I want this. I want the hamburger. I want this right here. Here's what I want. You know, five ninety nine. I want the hamburger. Well, could you imagine a restaurant saying to you, we don't have hamburgers. All we have are menus. And I think Christianity has become like that. All we're doing is just handing out this menu. Well, we hope it gets better. The Bible says somewhere back in here it may happen. But we're not showing them the real deal. It's not happening. And we pretend like that's normal. That's not normal. I want you to listen to a prayer from a man named Clement that was a disciple of Paul in the first century. He wrote this in 96 A.D. That means he's a disciple of a disciple. I want you to see the type of prayer that he prayed, what, what meant something to him. You see, these, these martyrs of their faith were dying. They were giving their life for Jesus Christ. And Jesus to them just wasn't another fairy tale. Jesus to them was the risen Lord and Savior. He was their healer. He was their deliverer. Listen to what Clement says. It's at the end of his letter. He actually wrote 65 chapters. So, I mean, you could tell he picked up a little something from Paul and I guess took it a little further. Here's in the 59th chapter of his letter to the Romans. He says, we ask you, O God, Master, be our helper and defender. Rescue those of our number in distress. Raise up the fallen. Assist the needy. Heal the sick. Turn back those of your people who stray. Feed the hungry, release our captives, revive the weak, encourage those who lose heart. Let all the nations realize that you're the only God, that Jesus Christ is your child, and that we are your people and the sheep of your pasture. You see, this man said, God, do something. Don't just stay up in heaven and have us run around down here with our religion. God, do something. Show us your real. Show us your power. They were leading a man named Polycarp to, to die a martyr's death around this same time. And he was an old man, and he was a disciple of John. He was, he was a disciple of the Beloved, the John the Beloved, who wrote the Gospel of John, and his name's Polycarp. And he's an old man. He's 86 years old, and he's being led to die. And the, the, the proconsul, the one that ruled over that part of the, the city, loved John uh, and Polycarp. They really believed in Jesus as much as they could as pagans, I guess. But they didn't want to hurt him. But it was illegal to be a Christian in that time. And it was for 250 years, by the way. And here's Polycarp standing before the ruler, and the ruler doesn't want to kill him. So this is what he says. He says, he says Polycarp, just, just deny Jesus right now, and, and I'll put it in a letter, and I'll send it to Caesar, and then we'll leave you alone, and you can go back and be a Christian. You can go back and be a Christian. Just, just deny him right now, and then you can go back and do it, and we'll leave you alone, and we'll have it in writing that you did it. And that, you know, nobody will even care. Polycarp said... How can I deny the one who's always acknowledged me even as a sinner and saved me? He said, how can I deny him now? Then this man said to him, he said, come on, Polycarp, you're making this harder than it really is. I mean, we're just going to do some paperwork. You move on. We said that we talked to you. They didn't want to kill him. He's an 86-year-old man. They don't want to kill him. They say, Polycarp, just admit that Caesar is also a god. 
It's okay if you say Jesus is a God, but just admit that Caesar is also a God. See, we have many gods, Polycarp. If you could just say that Jesus is one of these many gods, we're fine. We'll leave you alone. Polycarp said all the gods are idols. This is the only live God, and I couldn't deny him now. And they brought him to burn at the stake, and he died. You see, is that the Jesus you know? The only one? Or is he like everybody else to you? Is it kind of like a you know, little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of Oprah Winfrey here, a little bit of Buddha here, a little bit of Islam here, a little bit of what your grandma told you over here, a little bit about the Mother Mary over here, and all of that. And Jesus just becomes just, you know, just one of many ways. He's not really that big of a deal. Who, who, really, who really cares or believes in any way? Or would you stake your life on it today and say, he's the only way. He's it. He's it. He's, he's all I know. He's all there is. I can't deny him. I can't, I can't pretend like he's one of many. He is the only one. This time last year, we said to people, hey, come to our play. And we, and we said, hey, we're going to have a play. We're, going to, we're just going to have a play, and it's going to have heaven and hell. And, you know, I went to Bible college, and these are the things they teach you. And they don't really say it like this, but this is kind of the way I see it now. I'm 31 years old. My spiritual birthday is this week, November 5th. I, I've been in Christ now 13 years. And this is kind of what I've seen. You know, people say it like this. This Bible doesn't work to get people to church. So you know what? Have a play. Give away food. Have basketball for the kids. And then try when they're here, and you've got to caught and kind of tell them about Jesus. Let's have a spaghetti dinner. Let's have this and let's have that. So we, you know, we did it and we would see people come. And then we said, what are we doing? Jesus never said to the disciples, go out and have a play. We're not Hollywood actors here. We haven't tried to come to be your Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie. We haven't come to do that. And I began to think to myself this week, and I know some of you have heard it, but there's some new here today, and I want to share this with you. I began to think to myself, what would Paul say? What would one of the disciples say who saw miracles, who saw the power of God? What would they say showing up to that play? Okay, Joe, what are you going to do tonight? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have our worship leader dress up like the devil, and he's going to try to come out and scare the little boys and girls and tell them not to go to hell. (laughs) And then we're going to have our, our sound man with the blonde hair and the blue eyes grow out his beard and put a little Burger King crown on. And he's going to come out of these velvet sheets and we're going to shine a spotlight on him. And we're going to say, that's Jesus. And we're going to tell people, you know, to choose Jesus. It's going to be a cute little play. I could just imagine Paul looking at me going, but when do you raise the dead? When do you heal the sick? When do you cast out devils? When do you show the people Jesus is real? Anybody can have a play. Anybody can tell a story. Do you know that right now entertainment tells the lie very well? They tell you lies of, uh, of you know, all of these storylines, you know, Transformers and Batman. And they tell that lie so good that we'll sit there for three hours and we'll pay money to actually be there. But yet you invite somebody to church where it's free, the real God of the universe. And after an hour of singing songs to them, they get bored. Because the, the world has told a lie badly or good. The lie has been told so good, but the church has told the truth bad. We don't make it look real anymore. We, we do just what the world does. The world entertains, so the church entertains. 
the, the, the world bribes people. You go to a, a, you know, a grocery store. The guy's standing there. I'll give you a free cooler if you join the bank account. And we sit here in our churches. I'll give you a free cup of coffee if you do this. I'll give you this. And we bribe people just like advertising. We put these slick things on the TV, these slick preachers t- selling their books that are no different than motivational seminars. And we want to try to make Jesus as small as possible. And there's no power in it. Chicago's become the murder capital of America, but yet we have all of these churches. How is this happening? How does that work? How does that work? I mean, the, the Bible says that if, if there's just a handful of Christians, we could change the world. The, the Bible talks about that there was, you know, 12 disciples minus Judas, only 11. And within a few weeks, 3,000 people changed their lives. It talks about one person going to Samaria and then people getting saved and throwing all of their witchcraft millions of dollars worth of idols in the town square, setting it on fire, saying they want to live for Jesus. And so, you know, this weekend we had somebody come by, and we, you know, we love people. We love you. Look at your neighbor and say, we love you. And then somebody comes by, and they say, I brought my child. I brought my child. I, I, I want to go to the play. Where's the play? And our, our children's worker tells them there's, there's no play this year. There's just Jesus. They're going to talk to Jesus, sing songs to Jesus. Then they're going to talk about Jesus. And then they're going to actually ask Jesus to do something. They're not going to rush through that. They're actually going to see if Jesus will do it. They're going to see if people will get healed. They're going to see if people's lives will change. Because how many people here know that you can go to movies, Disney World, and all those things, and your life still be tore up from the floor up? That that doesn't change you. Hello, people. Come on. America doesn't need another box office hit. We need Jesus Christ. So this person comes and they're like, hey, well, where's the play? And, and our children's workers telling them, well, you know, there's no play. There's Jesus. You can, you can come sit down right now and you can hear about Jesus. She says, oh, no, I, you know, I didn't really want that. I'm, uh, you know what? I hear there's a church down the road that's doing a little festival and they're giving away candy. I mean, can you imagine this? The mother said, I came to church, but it wasn't for Jesus, it was for a play. And when you tried to give me Jesus, I don't really want that. I would rather have the candy. I mean, that's what it's like. And that's why when you talk to your friends and you say, well, I go to church, they're thinking to themselves, well, so do I. I go to St. Benedict's. Yeah, okay, great. No big deal. We're all going to church, right? It's, it's just not a big deal. A water stain hits a bridge in the city and people will go there and act like it was a miracle. But yet we don't even see the real miracles of the Bible. We'll go there and put it wreaths around it and we'll, you know, people will put flowers around it and they'll go pray around this water stain under a bridge. Oh, but God forbid that we actually believe that there's still demons that can be cast down. Christians all, all over this city, you know, Friday, dressed up their children like demons, and we're actually saying we want to cast out demons. What's happened to the church? I'm just asking. Do you want to make a change? Do you want to make a difference? Do you want to do something radical? Do you want to do what God said? Well, if you did, all you've got to do is just pick up your Bible and let's do what it said. I would rather stand up here and say God said this and nothing happened than to come up here and sing a song, to dance a dance, to tell a lie. And it be well received by lots of people, but it be still just a lie. 
I would rather say God can raise the dead and we never see the dead raised. I'd rather say God said he would heal and never see anybody healed. I'd rather say God said he could cast out demons and never see demons healed. I would rather give it my best shot, put God on the line, than to come up here and to make Christianity something that it was never meant to be. It's not meant to be some home and garden Oprah Winfrey religion. It is meant to be your everything. It is meant to be above your job, above your family. Jesus Christ, the Bible says, is the pearl of great price. He said to you, I didn't say it to you. He said it to you and to me. If you want to follow me, deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. He says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet lose his soul? It's time to make a change. It is time for you and I to say we're going to be the church. And then once I say that word church, what do people think of? They think of this building. Oh, wow, this is a nice building. Okay, I'll be the church. I'll come here on Sundays. That's not the church. When Jesus started the church, there wasn't even a building. You know where church was? Wherever Jesus was. Jesus knocked on people's doors and said, you want to have church here today? They said, sure. Okay, they had church there. There's the church. Somebody comes there and says, hey, where are we going to have church tomorrow? I don't know. How about your house? Okay, there's church. They didn't go to church. They were the church. In the early church, there was no welfare government taking care of the people's needs. It was the church. Your Bible says true and undefiled religion is taking care of orphans and widows. We're telling the gay community we don't want them to adopt. We're saying that they're immoral and rightly so. But yet they're looking back at us saying, all of you Christians, you have these homes. You have such this perfect life supposedly, but you're not adopting. And when a preacher starts talking about adopting, we have our head so so far in debt. We have our lives so twisted on our own agenda. Many of us couldn't even think about adopting another child. But that's what the early church did. They adopted children. They took in the homeless. They didn't just send them to a program. They brought them into their house. When are we going to be like Christ? Christ said, I'll die for this. But we know what we want to say. We want to come to Jesus like, like, like you know, somehow like Jesus is our uh, servant. You know, like we are the boss and Jesus is a servant. We kind of come to Jesus with this little to-do list. Okay, Jesus. Well, if you're going to be Lord, if you're going to be boss, if you're going to be my God, let, let's, let's just work this contract thing out. Okay, you know, I'll come Sundays, but I want Saturdays off. You know, I'll give my 10% every now and then, but when times get rough, you know, I'm going to keep that. And then don't ask me to go beyond that because I'm not going to give. And then you know what? I'm going to take my kids to Disney World more than mission trips. I'm going to watch TV more than I pray. I'm going to get more involved in my sports and entertainment than I do in the church. And then at the end of my life, this is what I want. I want heaven. I want to be able to go up there and eat a los con condules. I want to have all my friends and family up there. Okay, Jesus, we got a deal. And Jesus looks back at you like you're crazy and he says, there is no deal. It's either his way or no way. It's either you acknowledge today he is Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of all, of all glory, of all heaven. He created the heavens and the earth. He is the greatest king. He is the supreme master and ruler or he is nothing and you will perish in eternity in hell. The Bible is true whether you believe it or not. I could stand on top of a building right now and say I don't believe in gravity and I could jump off to my death. Just because I say I don't believe in gravity doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Today, I believe. Does anybody else believe?
does anybody else think here? I'm not just saying this to be a preacher. I'm saying this because I want to know. Does anybody else want Jesus? I mean, I'm not saying it's wrong to have a play. I'm not saying it's wrong if, if you want to go to Disney World and believe in Tinkerbell and tell your children about Santa Claus. I just want to know, does anybody actually believe that Jesus Christ is real, that he can heal, that he can set free? Does anybody else believe that? Does anybody actually want to talk to him and expect him to move, to show up? Does anybody actually want to sing a song to him that he considers worship and blesses him? To me, that's where we start. Bam, here we are right now. It's time. Let's put God on the line. Let's see sick people healed. Let's believe for lives to be changed. We were in our youth service the other day, and I've, I've told this story because I want everybody to hear it, but we're going to tell it again. Listen, we were in our youth service just a few uh, months ago, and, you know, our youth service had a lot of teenagers, and they're coming because, you know, we're doing the basketball, and we're doing the video games, and we got the Wii right here, and we're having so much fun. And Oh, yeah, God is, God is here, but we don't see him very much. He's probably there in the corner somewhere. Everybody's welcome except Jesus. It's all about everybody else except what he wants to do. And so one day, we're we're just praying and somebody came to me and said hey come pray for this this young lady right here so i say okay let's pray for her. a little music playing softly in the background and I, you know and i'm not trying to be religious but you know i'm not thinking much of it okay lord bless her jesus and while i'm praying for her she laughs <laughs> and i said to myself that's not a normal laugh you're not supposed to laugh when i'm praying for you i'm not being funny I told the musician, stop playing. All of a sudden, I said, Satan, you are a liar. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. The moment I said that, this little girl about this big screamed at the top of her lungs, you mother effer, I hate you. And all of my youth looked at us like we were crazy. I said, I didn't make that happen. All of a sudden, she started bucking and jerking, trying to attack me. We had to have the adults of the church, the men, hold her down. And for the next 20 minutes, we cast four demons out of this girl's life. And the last one came out with a shriek. Ah! And she fell on her face. But she was set free by the power of God. Jesus Christ showed up in the youth service. So I think to myself, oh, man, God is moving. We're going to see this youth group explode. We're going to see youth want to go for God. We spent all this time getting these 80, 90 kids right here. Now they've seen demons cast out. Now they're going to want to live for Jesus. The next week we come, me and David are out there watching the kids play. They're still running around chasing girls. They're still cussing and hiding behind cars. They want to get out of worship so they can play basketball. And I said to myself, here we've cast out devils, and here the people don't even want that. They would rather have basketball than Jesus. And I began to realize to myself, we as a church, we as adults, we as supposed Christians, and most of you probably would say you've been one for quite some time, or at least believed in it, we have messed up. We've got to get back on track. We've got to show this world that Jesus is all right, that Jesus is all that we need. We don't need anything else. And let the demons being cast out, let the sick being healed, let lives being changed begin to be what draws people to us. Because if they don't want that, man, it doesn't matter how much basketball I give them. It doesn't matter how many choirs we have sing. It doesn't matter how cute I am. It doesn't matter how well you like my speaking. If the Word of God being preached to you now does not transform you, if in a few minutes when we pray, if God does not come in power, we've wasted our time. 
And we need to find another God. We need to say, ah, this, is, this was a good story, but it's not true. But you see, I believe that it is true. And I've seen enough that I can't go back. I can't pretend that it's just church as usual. I can't just show up on Sunday morning and say, oh, okay, let's, let's sing two songs, all right? We don't want people to get bored. And then I'll tell you what, I'll preach a 20-minute message, a message about how they can be prosperous, have a good life, and get along with their neighbor. Okay, that's great. So we'll be done in an hour and have some coffee and call today and catch the Bears game. I can't do it. Because I've seen the power of God. I see that there's a hunger. We go out on the streets. We're witnessing. People need Jesus. Some of the people here in this church said, I've never even seen a miracle. Could you imagine walking with Jesus saying, I've never seen a miracle? Could you imagine walking with the disciples saying, I've never seen a miracle? But yet people today say, I've never seen a miracle. I've never seen demons cast out. I've never really seen a life transformed. Sure, I've seen a play. Sure, I've heard a message. Sure, I've heard the songs. Sure, I've clapped my hands. Sure, I've given my money. But I've never seen anything really, 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 really supernatural. Nothing really that would have me believe in God. Because, hey, we could be Satanists and clap our hands and have a play and, and, and you know, sing songs. We, we could be atheists and clap our hands and sing songs. Are you all getting this? We could have gone to the movies and just said we saw something neat. Well, and some of those fairy tales seem to catch people's attention more than Jesus. 110, 20, 30, 40 million gets spent on Batman over just a weekend, over just a few weeks. And yet in the church, you know, the, the pastors are running around saying, how do we pay these bills? There's just, there's just no excitement anymore. There's no passion for God. It's people are more passionate for the fairy tales, but not here today. Today we decided to make Jesus the center of attention. So I'm sorry that there's no play or choir or something that can make you say to yourself, well, that's just a good church. No, we've come here to show you Jesus. We've asked you to step out of your comfort zone, out of the the little secret place of your pew and to actually confront the living God and to look Him in the eyes and to see His power and decide today once and for all, will you serve Him? Not only by life, but by death. If you believe it, can you say amen? I want you to open up your Bibles with me now for Mark chapter 9. That was the introduction. I just wanted to tell you why I'm here. I just wanted to tell you what we're here to do. That's it. God help me if I ever forget why I'm here. I'm not saying I'm perfect. You've heard me talk about myself. I just want Jesus. I want to tell you five ways to receive a miracle. It's not my word. It's, the God, it's God's word. Five ways to receive a miracle. We all need miracles. We need them every day. They happen. Uh, you know, tragedy happens in our life. Problems happen in our life. We need to know how to get a miracle. It's not just throwing a quarter and a wishing well. I wish I get better. I wish my family changes. My mother was here in town for our baby shower, and, and she was telling Nancy and, and our friends about how I came to know the Lord. I didn't come to, to know the Lord by a play. I didn't come to know the Lord because the youth group had video games and had pizza. I came to know the Lord because when I was on drugs and my life was messed up, my mother had been praying for me for seven years. She never let go of God's promise. And when I called her up and said, put me in a mental hospital, she said, you don't need a mental hospital. All you need is Jesus. And I didn't go to 12 steps. I went to one step to Jesus Christ, and He set me free. I got saved at the kitchen table and sanctified and filled with the Holy Ghost on the living room couch. That's how I knew God was real. 
You see, that's what we need to preach again. That's what we need to get back to again. If it worked for me and worked for many of you here, it will work for the people out there. We need a miracle. Somebody said we need a miracle. We don't need more of the same old, same old. We don't need more of what religion is selling. And I'm not talking about changing doctrines. I'm not trying to start a cult. Go to our website. We have the same fundamental doctrines that Christianity has always taught. What I'm just saying is we need to get back to what Jesus said, what Jesus did. Here's the first thing to receive a miracle. Number one is faith. Look at Mark 9, 20. Mark chapter 9, verse 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. Here you see that Jesus is going to cast out spirits out of this person. Now let me just ask you a question before I read this. Do you think if there were spirits in Jesus' time, do you think there's spirits in our time? Hello? Do you think if Jesus spent a lot of his time casting out devils, don't you think that's what Christians should be doing? Look at this verse. So they brought him to Jesus. When the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. I told the story last uh, yesterday about the time when I was in New Orleans. A person came knocking on our door, homeless man, came to the church. We were, we were there at night. And then he came and he fell on the floor and he started writhing like a snake on the floor, foaming at the mouth, and we cast the devil out of him. This is Jesus right here. This is what it was like in Jesus' day. This person comes, falls on the floor, convulsing, foam coming out of his mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It often throws him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do, look at this man right here. See, he didn't even know who he was talking to. Look at how he talked to him. This is so much how we talk to Jesus right now. But if... Come on, somebody. He said to Jesus, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Isn't that kind of how we talk to Jesus now? Jesus, I'm going through all of these problems. If you can do anything, just maybe help me. Isn't that how we talk to him? You know, maybe, God, I, I, know, I know, you know, you probably don't even hear me, but if you can, please do something. Look at this man. No, no faith. He didn't even know who Jesus was. He had no understanding. He says, if you can, do something. Jesus says, if you can. <laughs> I love Jesus. He's like, son, I'm the one that put the stars in the sky. I'm the one that put your DNA in the body. I'm the one that put the earth here. If I can, Jesus said, everything is possible for him who believes. Now, you either believe that or you don't. Now, if you don't believe that, there's nothing we can do for it. We're going to show you some miracles. You can choose to believe it or not. But like I've said, I've seen people see miracles and still walk out and not believe it. Jesus himself obviously didn't have a whole lot of friends because they actually crucified him. So it doesn't just necessarily make you believe. You have to decide if you'll believe right now. Will you believe in Jesus? Because seeing will not make you believe. Trust me. Some of the people who have seen miracles in our services, they're not still Christians. They're not serving the Lord. They still would rather go out and watch a movie. You see, because there's something inside of your heart that no matter how much you see something, you won't believe it unless you open up your heart to it. 
I hear people all the time tell me, well, if I see a miracle, I believe. Well, if I see this, I'll believe. If I see this, no, you won't. No, you won't. No, you won't. You see, you will only believe when you open up your heart to it. The only reason why that day, November 5th, 1995, I saw God move in my life is because I trusted him. And I said, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I don't see you. I, I've really not met you. I've, I've only heard about you. I like to do drugs. You don't want me to do drugs. I like to have sex. You don't want me to have sex. But my mom tells me you'll help me. I'm just going to fall back in your arms and trust you that's faith he said everything is possible for him who believes if you and I are going to live a life of miracles not a life of religion not a life of just being good because a lot of people are good but they are going to hell You can be good and go to hell. You can be nice to your neighbor. You can pay your taxes. You can help old ladies cross the street. You can be very kind to people and still go to hell. You know why? Because the Bible says you only go to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ. You've told a lie, that makes you a liar. You've taken a son that doesn't belong to you, that makes you a thief. You've taken his name in vain, that makes you a blasphemer. You've lusted in your heart, that makes you an adulterer. You've coveted after what somebody else has, that makes you a coveter. You've disobeyed authority that makes you rebellious the Bible says we've all sinned and if God stood up here as your judge today he could list out the multitudes of sins so no matter how good you think you are compared to me Bob and your neighbor it doesn't matter you only get to heaven by faith in Jesus Christ and confessing him as Lord so he said everything is possible now I love what this man said this man is just like me right here he was 100% honest immediately the boy's father exclaimed I do believe but help me overcome my unbelief do you know that Jesus is okay with that prayer do you know that Jesus would rather have you say man I believe but I'm kind of struggling with different things to to believe even more I'm starting to believe God but I, I don't know if I can put this all together God would rather have you say that than just say I'll never change when people are on drugs alcohol smoking drinking addictions to pornography anger and they have these life issues and they have these life issues inside their heart marital problems depression and we say to them Jesus Christ can set you free there is a miracle in Jesus for you you don't have to be that way anymore it's one thing for them to say hey you know what I believe but I'm still struggling with it and it's a whole other thing to say I don't believe that my wife and I shared an apartment with a woman that lived down below us. She, she was abused as a child. She grew up with the habits like alcohol and smoking and drinking. And she became a bitter old woman. She was on depression medication for over 15 years. And we befriended her. We would help her with her garbage and, and take her cats and do things with them and help her in any way we could, okay? And we would bring her to church and we would say, we would say her name, Barbara, now do you believe Jesus can set you free? Do you want to be happy? Do you want him to take cigarettes out of your life? Do you want him to break the hold of depression over you? Do you want it? We can pray right now. And she would say, I will never change. This is who I am. 
She would rather take depression medication. She would rather live in her little basement apartment all by herself than to take that one step and say, I believe, but God, help me with my unbelief. I want to give you a challenge today. If you want to live a life of miracles, if you want to see God do the supernatural, you have to believe. And if you can't believe at all, then just say, God, help me. Because after he said that, Jesus saw the crowd running to the scene. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and dumb mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that he laid there dead. They said, oh, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood. After Jesus had gone indoors, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive this out? He replied, this kind only comes out by prayer. Jesus set the boy free. Come out. I've seen it happen. Many of you have begun to see it happen in our church. Some of you have gone to other churches. You've seen it happen. We know that God's real, but people, you've got to make a step to God. You cannot sit back there with your arms crossed and say, well, if he's real, tell him to flicker the lights. Or, you know what, tell him if he's real, I'm going to win the lottery tomorrow. That's not how it works, sir. That's not how it works. You make a decision right now, I will believe. Put your faith right now on the line. There's nobody like him. I'm not saying put your faith in, the, in, in your job. You've already done that. I'm not telling you to put your faith in the government. You've already done that. You're counting on Social Security. Come on. I'm not telling you to put your faith in things you've already done. I'm telling you to put your faith in a God who's bigger than anything or everything you and I can imagine. Put your faith in God. We have been so easily deceived. If we have money in the bank, we're okay. If everything's okay with the government, we're okay. My friends, all this passes away. It all passes away. There was a Great Depression a few few decades ago. There'll be a Great Depression again. There was a time when their empires fell. Rome fell. Are you listening to me? Europe was, was destroyed you know, over the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, by Islam and all of these different wars. There's been wars ever since we've been around. You can't put your faith in governments. You can't put your faith in your society. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. We got to have faith. Oh, well, America will always be here. No, it won't. They said that about Rome. Back in the Middle Ages, the Dark Ages, we'll always be here. And then all of a sudden, you know, they begin to fight wars and lose wars. You will not always uh, have things around you to make you feel better about yourself. But faith says, even though everything around me may be falling apart, my God is never changing. He always is the same. If I can put my faith on Him, anything is possible. I want you to turn with me to Matthew thirteen fifty-eight. All I can do is preach to you the word of God. It's up to you what you do about it after this. You can't say you never heard those in this room. You're responsible for what you hear. I love you and I bless you. But I ask you, don't take the word of God lightly. It's not my word. I'm just showing you what Jesus did. Matthew chapter uh, 13, verse 58. Jesus was in a place. He couldn't do miracles. Look at why he couldn't. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of what? Jesus, the creator of the entire universe, did not do many miracles. You see, you can tell the Bible's true. Let me give you some hints right here. If the Bible was a fairy tale like the Bhagavad Gita and what the Hindus study, it would tell you all the good things. It would say, you know, they did this. They flew away like birds. Jesus could do all these little miracles. But you know what? The Bible actually tells you the truth. There was a place where Jesus was at, and he did not do miracles. You know why? Because he's looking for people with faith. 
Will you be that person? Will this church and the people in this place right now say, here I am, God. I'll put my faith in you. Or will it be he does not do many miracles here tonight because we lacked faith? I was talking to my mother the other day, and I was saying to her, how many miracles have you seen in your life? How many miracles? She hasn't seen a lot. How many miracles have you seen in your church? I mean, we go there, we sing the songs. We talk about it. God's a powerful God. Our God is an awesome God. Okay, where's, where's his power? Where's that awesome power? Do you understand they're supposed to be power people? Do you understand that they're supposed to be a God that's alive? Paul himself said it. I want you to turn with me to Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. Look what Paul said. The writer of three-fourths of the New Testament. Look at how he said it, my friends. It's not my words. It's Jesus' words. See, some of us, we've got so used to religion, we forgot what this thing was actually about. I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at what it says in verse 17. Look at what it says. It says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom. Let the cross of Christ be emptied of His power. He said, I'm not here to try to give you wisdom. I'm not here to try to like convince you of an argument because it's not what it's about. It's about the cross of Jesus Christ. Now keep on going down to chapter 2, verse 1. When I came to you, brothers, I didn't come to you with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and in fear with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And I'm telling you today, most of the church, what are they resting their faith on? Man's wisdom. We're here to rest it on the power of God. I believe in the power of God. That means I believe He can set you free from sin and you can live a holy life. That means I believe He can take away the sorrows of your soul and you can live a life filled with joy. That means I believe He can heal sicknesses and diseases. Your sin, your sorrow, your sickness was paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. The proof of my Christianity is not in my message. It's in the power of the Spirit that's demonstrated in this place. Anybody can have a message. We would say to Paul, okay, Paul, where's your book? Where's your TV ministry? Paul, where's your fancy car? Paul, where's your fancy degree? And he would say, here's my message. Come out in Jesus' name. That changed life. That's my message. You right here, rise up and walk in Jesus' name. That's my message. Church, it's time to get back to the message of Jesus Christ. It's dependent upon His power. And let me tell you something. He wants to pour out His power more than I want it, more than you want it. He wants to show His power. The Bible says He looks to and forth the earth looking for someone to show Himself mighty in. Preachers need to preach it. Singers need to sing it. Believers need to believe it. We need to get in God's power again. 
Today, God's power is not a matter of my enthusiasm, though you can tell I'm enthusiastic. It's about whether or not I personally have faith in God. It's not just about your amen or you sitting here saying I believe it or not. It doesn't really matter at that point. What matters is when it comes down to it, do you believe it? Anybody can say I love God now, but will you love God when you're out there being tempted? Anybody can say, well, I believe I'm healed now, but when you go home and face a situation where you get sick, will you believe it then? Faith has to come from your heart. It has to come from your determination. It has to be decided with you individually. Your neighbor could be sitting right next to you and say, I don't want it. I want nothing to do with it. And you could grasp it today and see a miracle. If you were hungry and you were starving and we had given you food and your neighbor was sitting right next to you and didn't want to eat, would that stop you from eating? Hello? If you were starving and your friend next to you did not want to eat, would that stop you from eating? Do you think I'm going to stop if other churches around me don't want it? Do you think I'm going to stop if you don't want it? I'll fill these chairs up again next week with somebody other than you. I'll get ten more in your place. Are you listening to me? And if I stop preaching, you better find a pastor that will because it's not about us. Do you want the real Jesus? Do you want a God that answers by fire? Or do you want some God that makes you feel good about giving Christmas presents to your kids on December 25th? Do you want a God that gives you goosebumps on just every now and then when you hear Psalms 23, maybe at a funeral? Or do you want a God that shows up in your bedroom, wakes you up at 4 a.m., puts you on your face, sends volts of electricity through you, and says, I've got your attention now. Let me talk to you and tell you something. Do we want a God of power or do we want a God of our, our wisdom, what we can put together? It's time to have a God of power. It's time to have a God of power. It's time to put our faith where our, where our Bible says it should be and see Him show up. Second thing is obedience. Turn with me to Luke 17, verse 11. Luke chapter 17, verse 11. Can God do what He said He would do? Some of you didn't even know this was in your Bible, but I'm glad you came here today. It's right in your Bible. That's right what Jesus said. Look, at these are all Jesus' words today, by the way. Look at, uh, you know, Luke 17, 11, and hear what Jesus said. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men there had leprosy. Do you know that leprosy was like AIDS of that day? It was incurable. It was contagious. So he meets ten people that have it. They stood at a distance. That means they couldn't get close to him. Otherwise, Jesus would have caught it. And they called out to him in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. I don't even think there's many of you that would even say that now. You would rather go get medication. You would rather go to a doctor. How many of you here would even do that? I was talking to our missionary, Tisa, who's a missionary to Mozambique, Africa, and I was hearing her miracles, blind eyes opened. I'll send you a a video of it. They have a video on YouTube of blind eyes opened. You won't hear about a 6 o'clock news because people don't care. Blind eyes were open. Sick people are healed. Tuberculosis, influenza, the flu, it's healed. I said to Tisa, I said, why do blind eyes open in Africa? Why do deaf ears open? Why do they see the dead race? They've actually seen the dead race. Why do you guys see those things in Africa and we don't see anything here in America? She says, you don't believe. And you're so comfortable with your health insurance 
and seeing the doctor and taking medication for the rest of your life that you don't get desperate. She says, but in Africa, they don't have a doctor. They don't have somebody to go to and give them a little, you know, little penicillin to take the pain away. She said, they either get healed or they die. And when they hear this message that Americans have heard over and over and over again, when the African hears it for the first time, that there's actually a Jesus that will hear them when they pray, that his cross was actually there for their sins, sins, sorrows, and sicknesses, that the Africans run up to the altars and say to God, Have pity on us, Jesus, and heal us. And people get healed. Here you see these lepers crying out to Jesus, have pity on us. If you want your life to change, if you want a miracle, you need to cry out to Jesus. You have to. There's no other way. What Griselda read to you about that story about that woman, I'm going to get to it in just a second. It's just so beautiful. We got the same story. It's one of the points. Do you know that that woman had to be desperate? I see people today, they're not desperate. They're not hungry anymore. I've sat down with married couples. Their family's falling apart. They're not desperate. I've sat down with people that are on their way to hell. They think they're going to heaven. They're not desperate for salvation. Oh, I'm not that bad, Pastor. You know, I don't hurt anybody. I don't murder anybody. You're talking about somebody else. I showed them in the Bible, you're a sinner on your way to hell. Because of your sin, you've committed at least one that makes you guilty. Ah, I'm not that bad. Nobody's desperate. You hear us go around the streets, talk to the people. Hey, can we pray for you? We'll even see people in wheelchairs. Can we pray for you? Ah, nah, you don't need to pray for me. I don't even want a prayer. I brought in over 30 homeless people into my house. 30 people to my house. I would have these homeless people. You ever wonder what it's like to sleep with them in the same room? Let me tell you what it's like. And you need to put a knife under your bed to be safe, first of all. So I would take these homeless people off the streets, bring them into my house. Talk to them. You want to get free? No. Kind of like what I'm doing. Uh, okay, well, can I pray for you to get off alcohol? I'm not an alcoholic. Okay, but you were standing by the street with a sign saying you need money, and I see you there every week. I think by the money you've had, you're probably making more than me. And I've had homeless people leave my house wearing the clothes that I gave them, flipping me off, going, no, you can keep your God. I'd rather go back right out here on the corner. And you, you, today you might think you're better than that, but no, many of you are just the same. You would rather leave this service in a few minutes, go back to St. Benedict's, go back to whatever church many of you came from where there's no power, there's no real God, there's no real challenge, there's no real change, and you want to say to yourself, you're a Christian. You're no more a Christian than I'm a man on the moon. You've got to get desperate. You've got to look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I want to stay this way? Or do I want God to get into my life? These people cried out, Lord, have mercy on me. I love Jesus. When he saw them, he said, go, show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It says, as they went, they were what? Say it again. As they went, they were. As they went, they were. Come on, say it again. As they went, they were. He says, hey, guys, you go to the priest, you'll be healed. They could have stopped right there and said, no, 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 no. Until you heal me, I'm not going anywhere. No, but Jesus said, you go now and you'll get healed later. So many of you right now got to start being obedient to what God is saying. God will give you steps to a miracle. 
God will give you steps, especially when it comes to changing your life. God will say, throw the cigarettes away now. Throw them away now. Somebody will say, no, but I'm not, you know, I'm still smoking. I'm still addicted. I, you know, I don't feel any change. No, God will say, you throw them away now. You come up to this altar, all of you, you throw that junk away now. You go back to your car, you grab out those CDs, you go go get the pornography, gentlemen. You go get those internet uh, accounts, you cancel them now. You throw it away now. And God says, then I'll set you free. You see, are you willing to do it now? Now. You see, obedience is what determines a miracle. I'm just helping clarify some things right now. I hope you're getting something out of this. Because I've talked to people and they say, oh, I tried that. I tried God. I say, but did you do it his way? When you were a little small child and all those problems were happening in your life and you didn't feel like it could work out and you felt God left you alone, did you do it God's way? Are you willing now to do it God's way? You see, don't let your pride get in the way of a miracle. God has a prescribed way for miracles. Here's how it is. You have faith, number one. Number two, you are obedient. You do whatever he says. God told me, leave the house you're living in. Move in with your parents. Stop smoking cigarettes. Throw them out the window. Get yourself back in college. All of that God was telling me. Why? Because he wanted to do miracles in my life. You have to make a decision right now. I'll follow God. Disobedience will keep you right where you are. Disobedience will keep you right where you are. Disobedience is what damns a man's souls to hell. It's disobedience. Why? He chooses his own way. The next thing is determination. This is a story that Griselda told us. Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 22. Starting the story that she was telling, I'm going to give you two sides to it. There's two people that are getting a miracle right here. The first thing that you have to realize is that some of them, matter of fact, many of them, there was a crowd, didn't get anything from Jesus. There's only two people that are talked about. Because these people wanted a miracle. That's something to think about. Why did some get in and others not? If Jesus was always giving out miracles, why was there a place that the Bible says he could not do many miracles? Why is it I've been to homeless shelters, preaching to 50, 60 homeless people, and only one or two of them will come up and say, God changed my life? Why? Because of their unbelief. Why is it we'll have services like this? One or two at the end of a service like this will have courage and say, okay, well, I'm going to do it. People will be sitting back right where they are. Ah, you know, I'm not going to do it. Why? Because of their disobedience, because they're not willing. Look what these two people were willing to do. Starting in verse 21, when Jesus had crossed over by the boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded with him earnestly, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. Once again, what do you notice here? The determination of Jesus. Somebody say the determination to come to Jesus. Say to come to Jesus. I remember a young, I remember a young man named Robert. He was an alcoholic. He committed crimes. And I took him into my house. I said, Robert, let's do it. Let's get your life changed. He needed a miracle. He needed to live another life. He grew up in the inner city. He grew up without really knowing who his parents were. He grew up in a totally terrible neighborhood in New Orleans. His whole life was was tore up. He had nothing to live for, nothing to hope for. He said, come into my house. God will change you. 
He came. He was obedient. He had faith. He said, I know God can change me. I know God can get me off drugs. He used to smoke crack. He said, I know God can do it. Things were going so good. God was blessing him. God was changing him. God was doing wonderful things, but he had this warrant for his arrest. And then he goes back to jail because he has to serve the warrant. And while he's in jail, he keeps calling me up and he keeps saying, Pastor, I'm in jail, but I'm still serving God. And when I get out of jail, I'm going to finish doing what I was doing at your church and I'm going to get right with God and I'm going to have my family back. I said, man, don't give it up. Don't give it up. Keep going. Keep going. And then eventually he came to the day where he was supposed to come out. And I, and I had it marked on my calendar and I was waiting for him, but he never called. Never called. A couple days went by. Never called. So I'm driving around. I'm looking down the streets. And what do I see? I see him drinking. I see him with his father who he doesn't even really know. And I look at him and I say, hey, man, come on. Get, get back in the car. Let's go back. Let's, let's go back to the house. Let God change your life. He can do it. He says, man, I'll do it tomorrow, Pastor. He said, Pastor, I'll give God a chance tomorrow. That night he died. I've seen people on the brink of death waste their life. My sister called me up one day when I was in Bible college. She was, she was drunk and she was, was feeling terrible about her life. She called me up and she said, Joe, I don't want to live like this. She had two children out with two different parents, uh, two different men. She was living with the man she wasn't married to. She felt bad in her conscience that she had wasted her life, that she had not lived the way God wanted her to live. She said, in, in Bible college, I'm there on the payphone. She says, Joe, pray for me. I want God. I want to change. I prayed for her. I asked, she asked God into her heart. I said, now, Jenny, if you're serious about this, move out tomorrow. Get out of that man's house and say, today you're going to live right. Throw away your alcohol. Let's get on fire for Jesus. She said, I'll do it. I'll do it. I never heard from her again. Next time I saw her was at her funeral because she died drinking and driving. The man in the story I'm talking about right now, Jarius, Jarius and his daughter, his daughter was on the brink of death. And he said, you are my last hope. When do you give up on Jesus and say, I'm done trying, Jesus? There's so many people that they think that Jesus is done with them, that there's no more hope. I want to tell you something. You need to not give up hope. You need to come back to Jesus one more time. And you need to say, have mercy. Because until you die, because until you're in that grave, you still have a chance. Go on with the story. Look at what it happens here. Jarius falls at Jesus' feet and says, I need you to heal my daughter. Jesus now is going to be interrupted by a woman who has an issue of blood. Look at it. It says a large crowd followed him, pressed in around him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for how many years? She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd, touched his cloak, because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Jarius had determination to come, and this woman had determination to come even in the midst of Jesus and with the crowd. What are you determined to do? What are you determined to do? Oh yeah, my sister felt like it was right to call that day. But then another day she gave up. Oh 
God's not good enough anymore. God's not worth me staying to 10 o'clock at night. My friends, I can't do it for you. I can't determine your life. I can't make you stay in this church so the message is over. And I'm not trying to judge those who are leaving. I'm just telling you, you all could leave and it doesn't change anything. It's your life. It's yours. It's, it's your miracle. No, nobody's going to tell me it's over. My sister died. That hurt. But I'm not giving up. I'm not changing. I will stand for God. I will see God continue a miracle in my life. I've been sober for 13 years. I won't give up on Jesus. I've seen Robert die. I met a young man right here on the corner, and I know I'm picking extreme examples, but I'll get to the average Joes in just a minute, but I want to use extreme examples. I met a man right here on, this, on the corner, tattoos on his neck. He said he was in a gang. He said that's all that he knew. And then we began to talk, and he really didn't want Jesus that day because, you know, it wasn't cool. He was with his friends. And then all of a sudden I get a call from a man at 2 in the morning. He's drunk and he's babbling. I find out that it's him and I say, what's up? What do you need? He says, they just blew my best friend's head off. Will you come to the funeral? So we go to the funeral, my wife and I. We're hanging out in this funeral. The place is packed wall to wall with people. And a fight breaks out in the funeral. Me and my wife, we run out of the funeral. We are scared out of our minds. What the heck is going on? And I went up to that young man and I said, after the fight and after we could talk to him, I said, but I'm here. Do you want this to happen to you or do you want to change? And he said, I'll call you. And I never heard from him. You have to be determined. This is not... Burger King, microwave, Christianity. The Bible says, for any of you getting tired, the Bible says that when the apostles would preach, the people would stay until they fell asleep and went to their jobs, some of them staying up all night. I don't know what you came here for tonight. I didn't come to play with you. I came to tell you this is how you get a miracle. I don't know how bad you want it. I don't know how bad you want it for your friends. But to me, it's everything. These principles that I'm sharing with you now is everything. That's it. There's no other way. We can fly over to China, climb to the highest mountain, talk to monks and ask Himalayan leaders from the, you know, from the different religions of the world, say, Sir, how do I receive a miracle? Let me tell you something. Without Jesus Christ and these principles, there's no way to have a miracle. We go overseas and we cast demons out of witch doctors. I lived in New Orleans and I saw psychic people tell people's future. What people spend money for, I would see them tell people's future. Rich people, poor people, anybody just wants to see something in these tarot cards. And we cast demons out of those people. And their power would go. They would have no power. They couldn't do anything. You and I have to make a decision. What are we determined to do? Follow the story. Now remember... The woman presses in, sure determination reaches Jesus, but now watch. Look at verse 32. But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You're freed from your suffering. What healed the woman, people? What healed the woman? Faith. Look at verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus. Oh, God, look at this. The synagogue ruler, this is the man Jairus, remember, starts off with him. He's begging for his daughter to be healed. This woman interrupts because she's so determined. She gets a miracle. Now look what they do. They, these people come to Jairus and they say, 
your daughter is dead. They said, why bother the teacher anymore? There's things in life that may die before you get a miracle. There are marriages that fail every day. There are people that give up and they say it's dead. People have given up on this city. Let me just tell you that right now. I've been here for 13 years in New Orleans and Chicago and major cities pastoring, and I can count on my hand the amount of pastors that actually work inside the cities where they have the most problems. This city has been handed over to the devil. We had over 400 murders this year. Do you have any idea what that means? Do you have any idea what that means? That means that your city today is handed over to violence. If you don't believe me, meet me this Friday, and we'll go to a high school of your choice and talk to teenagers about what they think the meaning of life is. Some of you who are as naive and believe in the lie of the devil and say, well, that's just teenagers. You have no idea how sick our society is. We have more death in this country than third world countries have. Do you understand that? Do you understand that Haiti, that doesn't even have a stable government, has less murders than we do? Do you understand that places around the world that right now that are suffering through war and violence, there are places that have less death than we do, like Palestine has less deaths a year than we do, and they're fighting over the Holy Land. There's only a few different places in the world right now that have more deaths than we do, and they are in war. And yet our city has 400 murders. But I talk to pastors all over this city, and all they want to do is a little carnivals. They want to go out and bribe people, and there's no real change. I remember the first time I saw a gunfight go down while I was preaching to kids. I remember another time when I was standing in the middle of 18 kids with bats and, 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 and chains and another 18 kids, and I said, this has got to stop. We move into these neighborhoods where we try to get away from it. We try to get away from it. And we forget that this whole world right now around us is falling apart. You and I need to make a change, people. Jarius was told his daughter was dead. What would come into your heart that moment? You're up here praying. Joe, I came tonight to the service because I wanted my daughter who's sick in the hospital to come alive. And here while I'm preaching to you, I haven't even got to pray for her yet. We haven't even got the oil out yet. While I'm sitting here preaching to you, and I'm probably going too long in your mind, while I'm preaching to you, somebody comes and taps on your shoulder and says, don't even bother the pastor, she's dead. It's already died. She's already dead. It's over. Could you imagine that feeling? Come on. Now we look at the next thing. Not only must you have determination, you must be fearless. The woman was determined, but Jairus was fearless. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. When will we get that in our hearts? That we cannot let fear come in. We can't let fear of what's happening in our cities. We can't let fear of what's happening in our lives. We can't let the fear of cancer, the fear of AIDS, the fear of what people say about us. Fear will take away the miracle. Jesus said, Don't be afraid. Just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, and the brother of James. They came to the home of the synagogue ruler. Jesus saw the commotion with the people crying, wailing loudly. He went and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The children, the child is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him. Jesus is telling them, The child is sleeping. 
And they're like, Jesus, you are nuts. This child is not sleeping. This child has died. After he put them all out, Jesus put out all the doubters. Jesus said, you don't believe this? Get out the room. I'm going to do it without you. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with them and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talatha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up, walked around. She was 12 years old. That this, they were completely astonished. How many would be astonished if you saw a dead person come back to life? Does our Jesus do that anymore? Does he? Does Jesus make dead things live? Can he make a cancer victim that's been told they're going to die come back to life? Can he take a marriage that people have said is over? It's done. Can he bring it back to life? Can he take somebody that's hooked on drugs, an addict, who said that they will never get better, they will only die this way, this is who they are. Can he make them come back to life? Can he take a sinner like you or me who is dead in our spirit, damned on our way to hell and not even knowing it? Can Jesus cause sinners to come back to life? He is looking for people that are fearless. And lastly, if you would stand with me now, Rachel, would you come please? He's looking looking for people that will let others pray for them. James chapter 5, verse 13. James chapter 5, verse 13. Is any one of you in trouble? He should what? Thank you, sister. Is anyone in trouble? He should what? He should pray. Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to what? To pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in in faith will just make the sick person feel goosebumps. Is that what it says? And the prayer offered in faith will just be like throwing a coin in the wishing well saying, I hope you get better. Is that what it says? It says, and the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. That's what it's all about. Are you determined? I want to ask you a few questions before we pray tonight. Have you ever waited in line for something? How about something you really liked? Ever been to an amusement park? How long did you wait in line for? What, an hour? Two hours? Three hours? How long are you willing, once you step up here, to wait until it comes? Oh, yeah. Yes. It's going to cost you something. How long? I was talking to our missionaries one time in Africa, or rather in India. And he was telling me, he said, you know, a building like this in India, they'll put 500 people in it. They can't afford anything else. They'll all sit on the floor. 
He says there, were, there are people that will travel six hours by foot to come to the church. You think they leave after 15 minutes? Two hours? How long do you think they stay? They'll leave in the morning. And then they'll stay the entire day and come all the way back. How long are you willing to wait? Is this microwave Christianity? Am I just supposed to like push the buttons up here? Okay, Jesus, we just need a miracle. Boop, boop, boop. Okay, here you go. God bless you. See you next week. My sister was here last yesterday, last meeting we had, my other sister. And we said, do you want a miracle? She came up. I know that she drinks and she smokes. I said, okay, you want to be free? Throw it down. And she kind of just like walked over, got her cigarettes, just kind of like, you know, took her cigarettes and just kind of walked over and just kind of threw it on the floor. Don't worry about this. It's okay. She just kind of threw it on the floor. And I was like, do you really want to be free? I don't know. I said, if you want to be free, stomp on it. Get determined. That's all she did. Her life didn't change. But she went to church. She came to church. One more church service. I came. Nothing changed, though. What are you going to do? Another question. Have you ever hoped for something for so long that you you forgot that it could ever even happen? Like a dream maybe you had when you were a child? But let me ask you a question. You ever seen a dream come true? How are you going to hope in your miracle? Are you going to say this is one of those things, ah, it's never going to happen? Or when you come up here, are you willing to say, God, I hope. And even if it doesn't happen today, God, it will happen tomorrow. It will happen the next day. I know a dream can come true. I know this can happen. I know it can happen. Here's another question. You ever ask somebody for help? Maybe you needed some money. You ever ask anybody for a ride? Ever ask anybody for advice? When was the last time you really asked Jesus for that miracle? Just really you and Jesus. Jesus, I need to be healed. I need to be set free. I'm asking you. Do you know that he says if you come to him in faith, he's not going to turn you away? But you've got to ask. I want to ask you one more thing. Have you ever been in love? Have you ever been in love? Some of you haven't, and I know that's, that's hard for you, but some of you have. Have you ever been in love? What would you do for that person you were in love with? The Bible says God is love. 
There is nothing that God will not do for us. Don't make our God look like He's some bad stepfather or some cheapskate person. He's not that way. He loves you. In just a few moments, man, I, I'm just a man. I'm just like you, flesh and blood. I'm just calling on my Father to do the miracle. Because He loves you. I know He loves you. But do you believe that today? Don't let the devil convince you otherwise. Don't let your circumstance try to convince you that he does not love you. Don't let him tell you that he does not hear you when you pray. Don't let him tell you that he doesn't know that you're up at this altar for the next hour laying your life on the line when he knows you got to get up in the morning. God loves you. This is not in vain. I guess I just got one more question because i got to ask this one too. Those of you who are sick, you ever took medication? How many times have you taken it? Once a day, twice a day? How many years of your life have you taken that medication, taken that pill, taken that thing over and over and over again? Let me ask you a question. How many times have you prayed? Why can't we believe in Him more than that pill, than that insulin shot, than that advice to stretch every morning, whatever the doctor told us to do? He is God. And He shows Himself in power. I didn't come to charge you anything. There is no offering. I'm not selling you my book. I'm not asking you to join our church. I've just told you about the God of the Bible. And now I'm asking you that last question. Can we pray for you? Can we pull out the oil and did what, do what Jesus commanded us to do and just start praying for you? And whatever you need today, will you let us pray for you until you see it happen? Or at least until you know it starts to happen. And if it doesn't all the way, happen today? Will you come back tomorrow? Because I'll meet you here. Will you come back the next day until you can say, I've got my miracle. I have faith. I've got determination. I will be fearless. I will be obedient. I won't give up. Father God, we now invite you into this place to do what you said you would do. God, as I call forth these people here from whatever need they have, God, I ask that they come, Lord, doing just what you said, just like that man said. God, believing and asking for help with unbelief, just like the lepers did, being obedient even when they don't see nothing change, and you tell them to move. God, I pray they move. God, whatever situation people are facing today, God, I pray they give it more than they, they did their medication. I pray they trust you more oh God. I pray they wait for you longer than they wait in line, oh God. Let them do it for you, Jesus. And God, as we do this next part of the meeting, Lord, keep your word. Heal people. Heal people. Save people. Change lives. Do what you said you would do. We invite you here now. If you want us to pray for you, just come forward. Believers, just begin to stretch up your hands and just welcome God. If you want prayer, just begin to line up up here. Whatever your need is, Jesus, we welcome you. We welcome you, Jesus, God of the ages, God of the universe.
You heal. You deliver. I don't, whatever your miracle is, if you need to.